Welcome to the Global Australian Podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advance, the Global Australian Network. We're the non-profit organisation committed to strengthening Australia by nurturing a globally connected mindset at home and abroad. One of the ways we do this is by shining a spotlight on the impact of extraordinary global Australians. In this podcast series, we meet 25 game changers recognised in the 2023 Global Australian Awards. These remarkable individuals generously share their stories with us, giving us insight into their international career journey, its highlights and challenges, and what motivates them in their work. I hope you enjoy getting to know the inspiring game changers of 2023. In this episode, we meet Andrew Quilty, a 2023 game changer for social impact. Andrew Quilty is a recipient of nine Walkley Awards and is a photojournalist who is based in Kabul since 2013. His work focuses on the real and devastating impact of the war in Afghanistan on civilians. Andrew invites the viewer to see beyond the frame of his camera through written pieces accompanying his photographs, including the publication of two books. If you were, let's say, addressing a high school audience or a general audience, how, in simple terms, how do you describe what you do? I would say what I do is it's a combination of photography and journalism. And um, I started as a, as a photographer. I sort of moved into what is commonly known as, I suppose, photojournalism or documentary photography. And then I started to take on a bit more of the, the journalism side of, of photojournalism. And so now I'm, yeah, I, I guess I do, um, I have a foot in, in both of those camps where I do photos and then um, write to go along with the photos. I've, I've never thought that the, that, um, that old saying, a picture tells a thousand words is accurate. Because for me, a, a picture, it needs a thousand words accompanying it to tell the full story in, in its full context. So um, I'm not sure whether that answers the question, but um, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I try to do anyway. And so what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Maybe it's different when you're um, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a particular location where you're shooting when the, you're, and you're not, but can you share a little bit about what mm. that might look like? Yeah, I mean, you know, today it's, um, it is not probably the kind of day that you're asking about. Um, I mean, the last six months for me has been about um, collating the work I had done over the past 10 years and putting, bringing it all together into a, into a book. Um, but I suppose the average day in, the, in those uh, 10 years that I spent in Afghanistan, um, I mean, uh, you know, apart from going out and taking the, the photos, there was, there was a lot more um, mundane, normal day-to-day life than most people would expect. You know, I think most people think, oh, you live in Afghanistan, you're, you know, you're constantly dodging bullets and, um, you know, running for your life. And um, fortunately for, for me and for those who live there, that wasn't always the case. Um, but I suppose the, um, the, the moments that were pertinent, um, both to me and in, in to a, uh, the broader historical context, um, 
I would always try to put myself in those locations or anticipate or react to them when they happened and put myself as close as I possibly could to those locations and um, capture them with a camera in a, you know, in a way that was technically proficient and um, um, ideally um, was uh, evoking something in a scene that, um, that, that, that brings it to life in, in, in a photograph and um, evoke some emotion from a, from a, a viewer. I suppose, and then bringing in that, that context by um, talking to the people around me and con conducting interviews, and then somehow bringing those the image and the and the words together um, to to I suppose transpose that that scene onto you know the lives of those reading or consuming consuming it for you know for a minute or two in their day and um, and trying trying to be like a a conduit between that scene happening there in a in a faraway place and um, and those reading it, you know, over their breakfast or whatever it is. Mm. Mm. Wow, and it, it requires so many different sort of um, contexts to be in as you as you move yourself from the the photographer and the the person in the scene to being in the audience and understanding what they will they will get from that. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like it's evolved, your, your career has evolved from that photographer in the early days. Did you always see yourself as becoming a, a like let's say in high school, did you, did you always know that you wanted to be a photographer? Nope. <laughs> no, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not even sure that I knew I wanted to be in a creative field, but I knew that that's what I loved doing at school. At the same time, it wasn't really encouraged I don't think at, at the school I went to I felt like I was in a pipeline to you know to go into business or um, engineering or medicine or law um, like most of my contemporaries did and it was never really put to me that a creative field um, like photography is one of those options and so um, and initially I did go, I, I tried to balance those two things. I thought, okay, well, I like, I like creating, um, but I need to have, you know, a, a career. Um, I need to go into a, a profession. And so I, I studied, uh, design. I thought I'll probably go into advertising or something. And, um, sure enough, within six months, I realized that that wasn't for me and, um, I ended up taking some time off, um, traveling a bit, and I was given a camera by an uncle of mine who, um, who had, had actually died the, the year before, and he left, he left me one of his old cameras, and I took that camera with me, and you know, it took very, very average photographs of you know documenting my my travels and my friends and and I kind of enjoyed them and I thought maybe I can make a career out of this and and kind of went from there so no it definitely wasn't um something that I had um had dreamed of from long ago and now that you're and let's say in that when you were in Afghanistan what motivated you each day to share those pictures and to 
often go into those um, really tense situations to capture mm. those shots? I think that changed over time. Um, I think before I went to Afghanistan, photography for me was really about bringing ordinary scenes from day-to-day life into something, um, you know, on a good day, extraordinary in a, in a, um, a photographic frame. And it was really about the, the technical um, aspects of photography and, and trying to perfect the, the technical aspects. And when I went to Afghanistan, that's when I really started, like the, the cogs started turning and I started to realise that it was actually a really good way of, of telling stories, which, you know, sounds so... Um, I mean, I feel like I was... I was working as a photographer for 10 years before I really worked out its potential. Um, and something about Afghanistan, or the combination of Afghanistan and photography just clicked for me and it, I, I realised that there were stories there that I wanted to convey through photographs. And so, um, and so yeah, that's how it started. And, and strangely enough, it was almost um, Instagram was actually a, a really good um, vehicle for me to practice that on um, and practice that um, combining of these two mediums and, and um, conveying more more than what was just in the frame of a photo, but what was outside, what you couldn't see, but what was relevant to that photo still um, in in the same frame, so to speak. And then that, um, that started to evolve and I started to refine the kinds of stories that I like to tell um, or that I like to look for and then, and then if I could find them to tell. And, um, and the longer I spent there, the more I sort of honed that, um, the idea of the stories I wanted to tell, which was, you know, mostly about, um, you know, underdogs and people who... Um, didn't have a choice um, as to whether or not, or as to how the war impacted them, but it, but it impacted them nonetheless. Um, it was mostly those people whose stories I wanted to tell rather than those who were um, uh, imposing the war or, you know, really actively taking part in it and, and you know, control, and had a control of the narrative to some degree. Yeah, you can really hear how, um, and uh, some of those, the, the motivation there, but also um, some of the challenges and highlights that you would come across when trying to communicate that with others, because mm. it could look um, like people are having a great time and you're communicating someone who's an underdog, but you could capture them in a really beautiful way that doesn't... Um, doesn't communicate that instantly. So mm. I'm just wondering if you can just... Um, share a little bit about what you find is the most challenging in what you mm-hmm. do and what and, and, and some of those highlights for you. I, I think particularly in this day and age where the world is, is so polarised and social media is such a, um, a terrible vehicle for having complex uh, nuanced discussions about complex topics and the topics in Afghanistan were often so complex and um, very difficult to tell in a, you know, a, 
whatever it is, 320 characters in a tweet or, you know, an Instagram post. And so for that reason, I started to, when I started to write stories to accompany my photos, my stories never fit into the, the, the kind of 800 to a thousand word um, limit that I was usually given in the early days to um, to tell to tell the stories and and I would always you know whenever I was given a, a word limit of, of 800 or a thousand words I'd hand in three three thousand words and I'd say like you can't I can't tell it in any less in any less in any fewer words than this because it would be dishonoring the um, the complexity of the story and um, and so I yeah I, I, my story started getting longer and longer and and um, and I guess I, I wanted to I, I didn't want to um, I didn't want to sacrifice the complexities of the story for the sake of the um, the way a lot of people are consuming information these days in, you know, shorter and shorter snippets. I wanted to, um, have all the information there, um, for anyone who did want to read it, um, or did want to consume it. Um, so that, yeah, that was certainly a challenge and, and it, and it often, um, came with criticism. You know, if you photograph the victims of, um, one side of the war, the other, the supporters of the other side would, um, accuse you of being supportive of, of the opposition and vice versa and and it was um, I mean I, I found that very frustrating because it, to me it was it was obvious that I wasn't supporting one side or another um, necessarily although having said that I mean it's I probably was supporting one side <laughs> more than the other I certainly wasn't supporting the Taliban um, but at the same time, you want to, even if you agree with the the project that one side is trying to um, bring into being, you know, you would, I would hope that it would be done in a certain way, and and um, uh, making sure that those who are uh, fighting fighting the war are doing it, you know, ethically, if that's not an oxymoron. Um, was something that was important to me as well and and was often confused by um for um you know treachery or um or or whatnot by um by critics yeah yeah it's a lot of um a lot of uh different opinions to be operating around and Mm. um Mm. carving carving out such and and to share the stories uh Mm. What does it mean to you to be recognised as a game changer in these Global Australian Awards? Well, I I was thinking about that before we started speaking, and um, yeah, it's a tricky thing. Recognition um, or award in this field is always um, it always feels a little bit uncomfortable because um, you know to be to be um, receiving plaudits for, you know, what in in many ways can be seen as making a a living out of the misery of others, and I and to be honest, I don't have a good argument against that because I mean, if you if you choose to look at it that way, I am, I guess, but I would hope that um, 
uh, obviously that's not the way I, I look at what I do, but I think, but I, at the same time, I haven't been able to come up with a, a good argument against it because I mean, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a, um, it depends on your perception and also, um, motivation, I suppose, um, my own motivation. Um, and so while the recognition is, um, a little bit uncomfortable, it's, I, you know, I can't deny that it's, it's, um, I'm grateful, um, for being recognized, hopefully for a less cynical version of, um, what I was just, you know, the, the worst possible version of, um, of what I do, um, of the, of the way what I do could be perceived. Um, if that, yeah. if that makes sense. Oh, it's a, um, yeah, it sounds like you really have, um, yeah, it's a, it's a struggle with recognition, I guess, just to sh- share from our perspective to see Australians go through the school system, not see this as a sort of an option in their school journey and sort of feel like the, the, the path less, the path most traveled is probably the right path. It's, mm. it's so refreshing to hear the stories and the, this, the impact of individuals like yourself and to show um, that next generation that actually getting mm. out of the comfort zone and, and, and doing that thing that you never thought was possible actually mm. is of incredible benefit to oneself but also mm. those around you and and to the country and to our as a nation mm. our our connectedness so um i i that's that's why we do what mm. we do but i i, I appreciate yeah. that that um discomfort with it when um when it is when it is um introducing or exposing or showing parts of the world that otherwise we wouldn't see up close and we would only mm. hear about yeah I actually got an email from my old school the other day. They're looking for um, um, ex-students to come and speak to um, current students about careers. I was like, oh, here's my yeah. chance. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Because, it, and, and isn't that true, there's a, the sort of the impact that you can have in your beautiful writing style that, that you know, that, that never went, there was no loss of, um, impact through the writing that, but that you no. can do both and, um, yeah. 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 There are different, um, uh, you can, you can take what you learn at school and, and twist it a little bit into, into, to fit into different nooks and crannies. Well, I'm, I'm aware of your time, but I have to finish this with this one question and particularly given that you've been asked to speak at the school what advice do you see yourself giving those students when you when you when you speak there? I th- I think what I'll say is is um, like listen to your passion, um, and that was something that I don't think I actually would have understood at the time. So I'm not sure if it would have been lost on the you know 16 year old version of me, but I would try and just really reiterate, you know, whatever it is you get up for each morning and look forward to that day at school or after school or on the weekend, follow it. And yeah, don't, um, I think that there's, there's such a, the tide that I remember at school was pushing me all in one direction. 
um, and to to like skip out of that tide, um, which you know everyone else, all, all the people around you are moving in, um, is uncomfortable and can make you feel isolated and vulnerable. But um, I think in the long run, it's it's um, going to be for everyone's benefit. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Andrew. This is a um, great place for me to um, end my questions. But Brendan, Kathy, did I miss anything or is there anything you'd like to ask? I do have a further question, Andrew, if you've got the time. It's such a fascinating conversation and honestly a privilege sure. to be meeting you. My question is relating to your growth over the 10 years in the one location over a decade did you see your focus or your work change or shift or what was that process like for you yeah it did um and i think the reason for that again it was um it kind of evolved organically um there, but there was one event that really made me you know I was probably heading in this direction and then there was this one event that made me pivot and focus you know um, quite prominently on um, the issue of uh, civilian casualties of the war so um, the people who were not taking part in the war themselves but were had it thrust upon them and that was um, that event was in uh, October 2015, um, there was a um, the, the, the Taliban took control of a city in northern Afghanistan called Kunduz, and it was the first city that they'd overrun um, since 2001. And so it was a, a significant moment in in the conflict. Um, it was a significant moment. Um, for the US and, and all the other um, countries who participated in the war up to that point, um, and obviously in, inside Afghanistan as well. And so the, um, the Americans were very conscious of not letting this um, railroad, the, the progress that had been made, the, um, the, the military gains that had been made over the years and so they went in pretty hard to try and take back take back control of this city Kunduz and in doing so they um, an American warplane bombed a, a hospital there um, which they say that they believed was a was being used as a, a Taliban um, control center um, it was not it was a it was a fully functioning hospital that was run by Doctors Without Borders at the time and um, more than 40 people um, patients and staff and um, and others were killed in the hospital at that time and I tried to um, to get to the hospital basically and it took me a week to get there from Kabul um, and by the time I got there still no one had been inside the hospital um, and there was still fighting out, outside the hospital for the for the control of the city um, but I'm with the help of several others I managed to get inside the hospital and um, photograph the, the the ruins of the hospital as well as the remains of some of those who had who had died there who had been killed there um, 
one of whom was a man who had been who was being operated on at the time. Um, he was. I found him in an operating theatre, lying on the operating table, um, long long since killed. Um, but um, his body was, you know, he was he was laid out on this operating table, almost, you know, in a, in a, in a quite um, symbolic pos- uh, posture, and um, and after that, I. I, I spent about a month trying to find out who, who he was. Um, and I suppose there again is another good example of um, uh, looking for the, the broader context and the um, broader impact of, of these scenes um, rather than just, um, you know, flashing up a sort of spectacular graphic photograph without, without the context. Um, yeah, and so I, I um, ended up finding out who he was and um, how he had ended up in the hospital. And I met his family and his four children, and um, and got to know them a bit. Um, and, and I'm still in contact with them to this day. Um, and I think it was that moment, just seeing the impact that these events, which you know we hear about, you know, day in day out. Um, on the news in you know faraway lands at the moment it's it's Ukraine um, and these events that take place which you know come and go on the on the news um, but which impact the people at the center of them for forever um, and so that was yeah that was probably the moment where my my work really started to pivot towards a focus on on um, on civilian casualties from the war. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more inspiring stories of global Australian game changers, please go to our website, advance.org.